0: Copy God's Word, why not you find the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5, as we're going to be at tonight. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study uh, through this little letter, but it's been so impactful and it covers so many different theological truths and also some practical truths about how we should order our lives. And it's just been an incredible study. So thank you for those of y'all that have been journeying with us. If you don't know, kind of our play that we run at Paradigm is a couple of times a year, we're going to walk verse-by-verse through some books of the Bible. And then the other times of the year, we're going to take some young adult subject matters and topics that hopefully are really Relevant to the season of life that you find yourself in, and we're going to address a biblical perspective on those things. And so hopefully by the end of the year, if you've tracked with this for some time, you'll have a little bit of a commentary on a couple of books of the Bible, and then you'll also have some biblical tools to be able to interpret some of the things that you're navigating in some of the most critical years of your adult development and your life. And so I'm so excited that we're back here in God's Word tonight. Uh, A few years ago, it, it was around this time of the year where I was really in a little bit of a conundrum trying to I felt like one of the biggest decisions of my life and as it would turn out to be, definitely one of the biggest decisions of my life. I had been in a relationship with this girl, and we'd been talking, and it kind of came to the point where we have talked a lot of things out. Uh, we had spent some time with each other. We had had a, a good time together, and, and like she was putting out all the signals. I was putting out all the vibes, and uh, but it was, it was like we didn't have clarity in the relationship, and so it came to the point where we needed clarity to figure out really what we were. So we had that awkward define the relationship conversation. Some of y'all have had that. Uh, some of y'all need to have that, you know what I'm saying? And so you're here, you've been talking for a while, you need to you need to figure who, who you are, what you are as a couple, uh, and all the ladies said amen. Anyway, so we had that conversation, and it was one of those things where we, we just left it, me and this girl, we left it in like, okay, well... We put our cards out there, and we need to we need to make a decision. And I was like in the middle of should I ask her to be my girlfriend or not. The thing I was wrestling with is is that when it came to like all the boxes that I had been praying about, and the type of woman that I was attracted to and needed to be attracted to, like this was the girl. I was like, man, this is a girl that I could see us go in the distance. And so really, even before I made you my girlfriend uh, in this situation with this girl, before I made her my girlfriend, I, I said, man, I, I I need to I need to really see that I'm ready to get married like if I date this girl like this is the type of girl that that I, I need to settle down with this is the type of girl I need to put a ring on for this this type of girl I need to uh, you know have kids with and a family with this type of girl that like th- that I need to be attracted this yet yeah, she checked all the boxes man uh, I wonder what, what type of person are you attracted to when it comes to the uh, the type of person guys what type of girl are you attracted to girls what type of guy are you attracted to uh, physically, you know, think about the things that you're attracted to, but more, really more importantly, internally, characteristics. What are those things that you're attracted to? Now, I want you to think about this real quick with me, and this may be a little bit of a stretch, but just go with me. If God was to date somebody, okay? God doesn't date people, just letting you know. But if he was, if God was to date somebody, what type of person would he be attracted to? Like, like, to put it another way, who is God's type? Like, I knew what type of girl I was attracted to, and praise God, she married me, you know, and, like, we're here, and a few years later, it's amazing. And so, like, I, like I knew that, but when it comes to God and it comes to humanity, like, when he, if he's looking down at Paradigm tonight, um, like, like, who are the people where he's like, oh, like that, that person caught my eye, you know? Like, who is God attracted to? And I don't know about you, but when it comes to um, me ordering my life and me thinking about the things that I'm, I'm trying to be, the type of man that I want to be, or the type of person that you want to be for me, I know this would be true, I want to be the person where God looks down at me and he's like, man, that's my guy. Like, that, like he, is, he is checking all the boxes. I wanna be the type of person that has ordered my life in such a way that what, what my maker says is most attractive, what my maker says is the most important thing that could be reflected in my life. I wanna be about those things. The Bible tells us that God, he looks at the, the heart, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And there are some things that God has preserved in his word that he says, man, this is my will for your life, that I want you to reflect these things. God said I don't care how much money you make, per se. I don't care how many traveling things you've done, per se. I don't care how, how cool your deal is, per se. I don't, I don't care about all those things, per se, the most important thing that I'm fired up. My will for your life, I preserved in my word. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the type of person that you and I should be in God's eyes. The type of person that he's wanting us to, to become, so to speak. And we're going to look at God's will specifically for your life tonight. And so I'm excited that you're here. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, What Type of Person Does God Want Us to Be? And what I want to see tonight is I want you to see from God's Word what you need to do, what you don't need to do, and then who you need to be by the end of our message tonight. And to be clear, here's what the type of person we're going to see from God's Word that he's attracted to. He's attracted to people that are joyful. God's attracted to people that, that are prayerful. God's attracted to people that are grateful. And we're going to see some of those things play out in God's Word. If you're new to 1 Thessalonians, a guy named Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians in a town called Thessalonica. It's modern-day Greece. You can go there today. And there was a group of people that had gathered just like this thousands of years ago. And Paul had written them a letter, and they wanted to read this letter in a public setting like this, and they wanted to allow these words to really influence the way that they ordered their life. And so we've come here thousands of years later to open up this ancient letter, and it's still equally and just as relevant to us us today. Paul, he wrote this letter to a group of people that were trying to follow Jesus. Tonight's message is for the people that have said, you know, I've surrendered my life to follow Jesus. Uh, Some of you, maybe you've come here tonight, it's your first time in church in a while, and you're kind of checking out the claims of Christ and kind of checking out what it means to be a a man or a woman of faith, and and you're you're just really exploring what faith looks like, and we're so glad that you're here. Um, We're going to talk about you're the message for you a little bit later in the night, but, but right now, from God's word, this is really for the person that is, that is resolved in their heart, I want to be God's man, that is resolved in their heart, I want to be God's woman. The person that said, I want to be the type of person that when God looks at them, he says, I am well pleased in, the per, in that person in the way that they've ordered their life. And so Paul, he's saying, man, here's some things that you and I should do. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And here it is, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is for the people that are following Jesus Christ, he's saying. Put on one, if you're taking notes, you'd write this down, what to do. What to do? What are the things I need to do? I love it that Paul, he kind of turns a corner and a lot of his writing, he's like, man, you need to prepare yourself for the day of the Lord. We talk about that for a little bit. He said, you need to prepare yourself for the, the return of Christ and the and when the church is going to be raptured. We talk about that for a little bit. You, you need to be reminded of the gospel. We talked about that for a little bit. And with the last few strokes of his pen, Paul's like, oh yeah, and do this and, and do this and do this and do this. And he's going to give like eight imperatives. This is like, this is a message for the person that's like, just tell me what I need to do. I don't know if you're that type of person, you know? sometimes I go to church and I, and we'll have messages like, you know, from God's word and they're real philosophical and that's important. Some are just really ideological and that's important. But then there's sometimes times where I'm just like, Hey, Hey, I, I got the, the, the idea. I got the, the philosophy or the ideology. What do you want me to do? You know? And so there's times where I just love the Bible just says, Hey, do this, do this, do this. And we can leave very clearly tonight with the types of things that we should be doing so that we can become the type of person that God is attracted to. Paul, what he's doing is he's focusing their attention on what they need to be focused on. He's saying, hey, y'all do these things. If you want to be the type of person that God wants you to be, then you need to do these types of things that God values. And again, God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be prayerful, and he wants you to be grateful. So he says here in verse 16, he says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Are you a joyful person? Like if you come in here tonight and, and like this, this time of the year, like if you had to pick what kind, of, um, what kind of Christmas caricature are you, some of you are like, oh, I'm the Grinch, bro, for sure, I'm the Grinch. Others of you, you're, you're, I don't know if you've seen the recent Grinch, but there's this guy with a really big beard, and one of my favorite lines from that movie is that hugs don't count unless you hug back. <laughs> and So anyways, it's just like this guy that's so joyful and he's just so happy, and maybe, maybe that's you. When it comes to joy, when it comes to rejoicing, is that something— that you find yourself doing consistently. And the scripture says tonight that you are called to rejoice always. Now, when life is lovely, joy comes naturally. But when life is lifey, you know what I'm saying? Joy's a little bit harder, isn't it? Like when life is difficult, joy becomes something that, that just seems out of reach. And some of you, you've come in here tonight and, man, you are in a great season. You know, like, this is, like, you're you're just, you feel like you're living in a Hallmark movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, the best part of it, you know? Like, all of the Christmas lights and, like, you're in love and, like, everything's moving in your direction. There's others of you that it's like you're living a nightmare. And the scripture is called both of you, wherever you are, if you are a Christian, if you have sold out and surrendered to following Jesus, it's calling you to rejoice always, regardless of your circumstance. And again, when life is lovely, joy comes naturally, but when life gets lifey, how do you make the decision to rejoice? I don't know what the holidays bring out in your life, and I don't know what they bring out in, in, with your family history or what, what you have brought in here tonight, but I know for me there's been times in my life when, when Christmas, this season, it was really hard. It just seems like the, the holidays, it magnifies what is really good in your life, but it can also magnify what is really difficult in your life. And so I'm in a season of gain right now in my life. I've got a, an amazing wife. We've got three little girls. It's incredible. So the holiday season in my family, is just, it's, it's almost magical. Like we get all the feels and we have such a good time. Like earlier today, the girls are making white chocolate covered peppermint uh, you know, pretzels. You know, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, I just want to kiss them all and then eat all the pretzels. It's, a, it's awesome. But there's been times in my life where the holiday time is just a reminder of what I don't have. And maybe you've come in here and and it's a difficult season. Life has gotten lifey for you. And then you're reading the Bible tonight and it's telling you to rejoice always. How do you functionally rejoice when life is difficult? Well, well, let me give you five sources of joy that we find in the scripture that can focus your attention so that if you come in here and you're in a place where it is difficult for you to choose joy because you're in a season of suffering, these are anchors, these are sources, these are logs, so to speak, that you put on the fire so that you can choose to rejoice in all circumstances. Here's a, a few of the sources. The first source is this, is that you can know God. Man, what an incredible a reality that if you are a Christian, then what that means is that you have a, you have a relationship, a right-standing relationship with the maker of the universe. And like one of the things that will bring you out of a dark time is like, man, if all else fails, I know the one that called the stars out tonight. If all else fails, I, I am in relationship with the one that is holy and righteous and worthy and amazing. Another source for joy is, is that if you are in right standing in your relationship with God, what that means is that your sins have been forgiven, that you have salvation, that, that you, can, you can focus on the thing that, that, that you may be going through hell right now, but if you are a believer, this is the only hell that you'll go through. But caution, if you don't know Christ, this is the only heaven you get, one that's full of ups and downs and, and can be difficult at times. But one of the sources of joy is that you focus on, man, I I have salvation. I have have embraced and been changed by the grace and the mercy and the love of God Almighty. My sins, they are no more. They have been forgiven. Another source of joy is that not only do you know God, not only do you have salvation, but that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That when you become a Christian, what that means is that God, he gives you his entire self. That you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. And so what that means is that whatever you're going through tonight, whether you're in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God is with you even in the midst of difficulty. And he will never leave you nor forsake you or abandon you. And he is with you and he will empower you. He will comfort you. He will convict you. And he will counsel you through whatever you may be going through tonight. And that is a source of joy. You can know God. You can focus on your salvation. You can focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Or here's one. Here's one. Here's a source of joy. If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, man. Man, how amazing is that? That no matter how bad it gets, it's only up from here. You know, like, like you, when you get to heaven and somebody walks up like, hey, how's the day going? Everyone's going to be like, who's the new guy? It's heaven, man. The day's going awesome, you know? And you can focus on the fact That this is as bad as it will get. That God, because of the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, he has secured your place in paradise. It's a source of joy. Even when life is life, you can focus on the fact that you're going to heaven. You could focus on the fact that you know God, that you have salvation, that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you're going to go to heaven. And the the last thing is a source of joy. This is just a, a few of the things that come from Scripture, is that you have fellowship with other people, that you're not the only one that's been through some things, and you're not alone in the things that you're going through. I know for me in my life, when I've gone through dark seasons and icy patches, so to speak, it's easy for me to feel like I'm the only one that has ever had to go through this, or I am going through this completely alone. And the facts are, is this, is that you have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so you can run your race with perseverance, the word of God says. That you are, you are not alone. You have fellowship. You're connected to the global church. And you have fellowship with other people that are aiming their life towards heaven just like you. These are sources of joy. How do we rejoice always? Well, we focus our attention on the things that are immovable. We focus our attention on the things that are unchanging. We focus our attention on the things, the truths and the realities from God's word. And then we choose to rejoice even when life gets lifey. When it's lovely, it comes naturally. When life is lifey, it takes a choice. Are you a joyful person? Are are you God's type? If God were to look at you, would He be like, I'm attracted to that person because of the joy that exudes from them? Uh, The second thing that Paul says in verse 17, he tells us we got to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Are you a praying person? If I were to look at your life over the last seven days, would I conclude that you're a person of prayer? Is that something that you spend time doing? Is that something that you give attention to? Do you pray formally? And then do you have the attitude of prayer? I don't know if you, if you think about this often, or if you've done any sort of historical research on like the way that people had to approach God in the past, and then I think when you do that and you understand some of the rituals and some of the things that people had to do in order to get into like the, the, the holy of holies, the center of God's presence, what people had to go through historically, it's like, man, it, like that's crazy, and then all of that, all that does is shed light on the privilege that we have access to God like prayer is our privilege. Back in the day, they used to have to like change clothes, go through all this stuff, kill a bunch of goats. Like they had to like, and then like move and like tie something to the rope. And like the guy would have to like work through this big thing and like go through this curtain, and this veil. And then he could approach God in the, in the Holy of Holies. But when Christ died on the cross, it tells us that the earth shook and that the Holy of Holies, this veil that separated God's presence from everyone else, it tore from the top down. Hello. That from heaven down, God separated and he tore this place so that if you're in christ you have direct access to god almighty so that you can boldly approach the throne room of grace with confidence the word of god tells us that prayer is our privilege and when we pray without ceasing this is the way that you navigate the difficulties of your day some of y'all today tuesday it was a tough day at the office you know, everybody's like just excited about something, but you didn't get the bonus that you thought you were gonna get. You've you gotten written up. I don't know what it is in your life, but some of you are going through something difficult in the office. Some of you are going through something difficult in the workplace. And then some of you like, again, it's awesome. And whatever the season that you're in, you're called to pray without ceasing. So some of you need to pray for strength to make it through another day tomorrow. Others of you need to pray that God would get the glory because everything's going so good in your life. But we're called to pray Without ceasing, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you're like, "That's a nice idea." What does that mean? <laughs> you know, like when I first read "Pray without ceasing," I was like, "You know, like what do you like? What exactly do you do?" Because I was kind of learning how to pray, and the way that I was taught to pray, it was like something you did before a meal, and uh, sometimes you 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 know interlocked. Sometimes you did this, sometimes you did this, and you always bowed your head and closed your eyes because that was you know God's watching you. Make sure you do that, you know, and and uh, then you say things like you know. God and Father and Lord a lot, you know, like, you just feel like instead of, um, you say Jesus, you know, and so it's like, Jesus, God, we pray, God, Jesus, Lord, that you, that God, Jesus, Jesus, Spirit, thank you for this, Jesus, Spirit, God, you, amen, you know what I'm saying, I don't know if you, if you're that person, you don't need to say God's name that much, all right, and so, but I thought that's what you did, I thought it was just kind of this formal thing, and and so when I read Pray Without Ceasing, I'm like, what does that even mean, like, do you just, do you pray all day, every day, do you talk all the time, And the more I begin to learn what it means to pray without ceasing, the more I begin to read about other people historically that have tried to practice the presence of God, the more I begin to understand that praying without ceasing is really a lot about your disposition, your attitude, and what's going on in the mind. The secret to the the joy-filled Christian life is to have the mind of Christ, that you and I, we can pray as, as we breathe, that we can, we can try to con- cognitively and consciously practice the presence of God Almighty. Think of it this way, kind of like a God conscience. Like you're, you're aware of God's presence as, as, as often as you can think of this. It, this is what it looks like for me practically. So for me, I made a decision a few years ago that when I'm, in, when I'm outside, I'm going to try to connect what I'm experiencing in the creation with the creator as often as I can. And that's kind of like a refocusing for me. And so if you were to ask me, Chad, what does praying without ceasing look like in your life? I would say this, that I want to engage in an awareness that God is my God as often as I can think about it. I'm not perfect at this. Oftentimes, I think about myself. I think about the how Tom Brady won the game last night. I think about all this stuff, you know, and I, and, and I just forget. But when I go outside, more than likely, I'm going to see something that's going to capture my attention, and I'm going to try to use that created thing to connect me back to the creator. And so tonight, when I go outside, I think it's going to be foggy tonight. I'm not real sure. But if I see a star, like for me, like that is a reminder that God is amazing. If I see a color, that is a reminder that there's rods and cones in my eyeball and that God has allowed light to come into my eyeball, allow my brain to flip the upside down world that my eye wants to see, flip it into a right side world so that I can see the colors. And when the light hits it, it reflects certain spectrums, but then it absorbs other spectrums. And God did all of that just so I would know that he was good. And when I see the created thing, then I have to make the decision, help me use that and leverage that in a form of prayer. Prayer. The thing that should preoccupy your prayer life is praise and thanksgiving. And this is a way for you to pray without ceasing, for you to be aware of, all that, uh, for you to be aware of what God's doing. I don't think we can, any, any of us can be aware of all that he's doing, but we would seek to be aware of what God is doing all around us. What is the thing that you need to do that can help remind you of your relationship with God? Some of y'all, that may be a stick on your dashboard. A friend of mine, he was telling me this earlier, I've got a stick on my dashboard, and every time I see that stick, I'm reminded that I need to stay connected to the vine, because if I disconnect from God, I'm going to dry up spiritually like that little stick. Others of you, it's a a post-it note on your mirror that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made because you're trying to demolish a stronghold of some negative thinking that you have towards yourself, and prayer is your weapon against that. And God's going to use whatever the thing is for you to practice the presence of God, that we are called to pray without ceasing. Some of y'all are hearing this, and, and I don't know what faith tradition you grew up in, but you're like, man, if I, if I set an alarm like every day for it to go off at a certain time, like that just seems too religious, bro. Like that just, that's too religious. Listen, if something religious drives you to a greater relationship, then you're leveraging the religious thing for a greater good if something religious doesn't drive you towards a relationship then it's hollow and it's wicked let me explain what i mean by this when i was talking with that girl chelsea i would call her every sunday night and it was kind of like it was our ritual so every sunday night when we were just talking i would i would call her and say hey it's sunday night we're going to talk for about an hour or two you know ask each other how the week was try to you know get to know one another and 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 it was it was religious every sunday evening we're calling each other we're talking now I want you to imagine that she lets me know a particular week, hey, I'm not available Sunday night. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to call. I'm going to call anyway, you know. And so I call on a Sunday night, even though she's not available, and I just leave a voicemail for an hour. Like, that would be weird, right? And, and, and like, if I was so committed to the thing, even, even when it was void of the relationship, that would be weird. And that is the nature of a lot of religious things, that oftentimes they can, they can be removed from the relationship and they they can become hollow and wicked. But when the religious thing drives you to a greater relationship, when the thing that you do reoccurringly drives you to a greater relationship, that is you harnessing the religious thing for its intended purpose. And so it's okay for you to do some things regularly so that you can activate this call to pray without ceasing. What type of person are you? Are you a prayerful person? Are you a joyful person? Are you the type of person that God would be attracted to? Paul, he goes on. He says this in verse 18. He says, and in everything, give thanks. And in everything, give thanks. Again, we're talking about what you need to do. You need to rejoice always. You need to pray without ceasing. And in everything, you need to give thanks. Are you a thankful person? Do you express consistently gratitude for the things that you receive? Are you you thankful? Can, Can you, even in a difficult circumstance, can you find things to be thankful for? I think sometimes we'll get it twisted and we'll, we'll kind of think like, well, does, is, God, is God telling me I gotta be thankful for everything? I gotta be thankful uh, for, for all the stuff, even if it's bad? No, the, the Bible never says be thankful for everything. It says be thankful in everything. And that's an important distinction because again, some of y'all come in here tonight and you are in a season of life that you never would wish upon your worst enemy. And you find that being your reality. And you come in here and you read the Bible and you're like, God, you're telling me I've got to be thankful even when I'm in this season, when I've lost everything, when when you seem to have disappointed me, turned your back on me, I've got to be thankful for this. And God's saying, no, no, you don't have to be thankful for that thing, but you've got to choose to be thankful in that thing. Some of you have come in here tonight and, man, you you wish that you were married by now. And singleness is something that you navigated. You've got all the fun that you had out of singleness and you are just, you're ready to lock it down with somebody. And you're feeling the pain of loneliness and it's starting to weigh upon you. and, And you're like, how do I be thankful for that? And God's saying, you don't have to be thankful for that per se, but you have to choose to be thankful in the midst of that. Some of you have come in here tonight and you are in a, in a season where you're, you thought you would be further financially than you are. You thought you would have already paid down the debt that you had from college, but you haven't. You're hoping that Biden will do something. You thought that you were going to be further along in the company. You thought that you were going to have the car by now or the house by now, but interest rates did that. Whatever it is, some of us, we can come into a place like this and we can live in a sense of disappointment. And so when we read the Word of God telling us you need to give thanks for everything or in everything, we think that it's saying you got to give thanks for everything we're like I'm not being thankful for my boss I'm not being thankful for my budget I'm not being thankful for my love like it's hard for me I'm I'm struggling how do I be thankful and God's saying you have to choose to focus to be thankful for things even in the midst of difficult circumstances the people that this letter was read to they were being persecuted for going to church like they People were dying around them for, for simply following Jesus. And so as crazy as some of these ideas may come across to us in our modern day, they are even crazier in this, in this day and age. That Paul's saying, I know that that person was murdered. But even still, you be the type of person that God desires. And the type of person that God desires is one that is thankful So what does this look like practically? And maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've done this before, but here's something that you can do practically. You can choose to reflect upon your day and you can write five things that you're thankful for. There was a study done by Harvard Research and they took a group of college students and they said, okay, for 10 months, we're gonna allow this group of people at the end of each week, we want them to write five things that they're thankful for down at the end of this week. For this group of college students, for 10 months, we want them to write five things that weren't good about their week at the end of each week. And for this group of people, we want them to write five things that just happened that week. And at the end of their study, here's what they concluded, and you could probably predict the end. Those that, were cho- those that chose to be grateful, they had less anxiety. They had better health. They had better relationships. Those that did not choose or to be grateful, and they were choosing to complain about stuff, and then also those that were just kind of like, this is some things that happened, they were were leaps and bounds away from the group that gave thanks. That there's research after research after research that tells us that when you live a life of gratitude, it's better for you holistically. Are you a thankful person? What type of person are you? Are you God's type? Are you somebody that's full of joy? Are you somebody that prays? Are you somebody that's thankful? I don't know about you, but I'll hear a list like this and I'm like, dang, <laughs> God, I need some help, you know, because I'll read a list like this and, and like, it's it, like, I struggle with these things. Like It's easy for me at times to, to complain about stuff rather than be joyful. It's easy for me to be independent and relying on myself rather than to be prayerful. It's e- easy for me to grumble and be like, ah, oh, it's not good enough, instead of being thankful. And I can get in these, these moments where I just be a little bit grumpy, to be honest with you. Uh, this last week, I told y'all last week that we had some sickness in our household, and so I've been you know doing some double duty, and, and it's been a little bit stressful in my life personally. We're all back on the men, but we got this game called Christmasopoly. It's Monopoly, but a Christmas version. And so we thought it would be a good idea you know at the end of a stressful week just to kind of decompress and play Monopoly late at night with the family you know and so like you know like I don't know if you play Monopoly um, but it's a little stressful okay especially when you're like having to teach everybody how to play and then and then you're like you you know you just cut a deal with one of your daughters and you're gonna rob her blind from some property and then your wife's like you don't need to do that I'm like I'm getting a good deal you didn't teach them I'm like no I'm taking from them you know and then, like, by the end of the game, like, my, my blood pressure is up. And I'm like, we, and I told my wife, I said, hey, we can't play this game at the end of the day anymore. This is not good for me. I'm about to snap on everybody, all right? I'm about to go mafia on this monopoly, you know what I'm saying? And, like, for me, like, it was something where I'm, like, I'm feeling the tension of these sour attitudes, and it's kind of a joke. But then I open up God's word And I'm reminded, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. And I'm like, man, I struggle with that even when it was not that big of a deal. And it can be hard when we look at lists like this and we think, man, (laughs) how do I do this? Again, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. And he says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And when we read the Bible, it should challenge us, amen? Like, like you shouldn't read the Bible consistently and be like, ah, yeah, I'm crushing it, you know? I don't know about you, but when I, when I read the Bible, it's, it, it typically challenges me. I haven't arrived. I like to say often, this is not a rival life church, this is abundant life church, that we're all a work in process, you know what I'm saying? And if you're perfect and you've got it all together and you're ready for the next book because you've mastered this one, this probably isn't the place for you. We've come in here tonight because we're struggling through some things. We've come in here tonight to hear the the standards of God Almighty, the types of things that he wants and the types of things that he wants to value. And we've come in here tonight to say, God, would you convict me? Would you challenge me? Would you help me and shape me into the man that I am called to be by you? Would you help and shape me into the person that I'm called to be by you? And sometimes it's difficult because we're broken people at times. And so I don't know about you, but I'll read this. I'm thinking, golly, I need your help. But God, he's, he's written these things because he knows that if we'll choose to follow his lead, we will live an abundant life. This is God's will. That's what it says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you. That God is so concerned with what's going on in here, way more than what's going on out here, I promise you. That God wants you to be joy-filled, prayerful, And grateful because he knows when you commit your life to these sort of things, it's going to create all sorts of flourishing in your life. There is study after study after study of people that have chosen gratitude, people that have chosen joy, and how that has impacted and affected all parts of their life from their physical health to their emotional health to their relational health. And it's like God saying, this is how I designed the world to work. And the social sciences are finally catching up with the Bible. And so when the Bible says, you need to give your life to rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in all things giving thanks. He's he's doing something inside of you when you do that. Dwight Eisenhower, a great general in World War II and and a former U.S. president, He said this about the way that you win a war. So if anyone knows, this guy's going to know a thing or two. And he says this, if you want to win a war, it's not so much about the number of bombs you have. It's not so much about the number of troops that you have. What Eisenhower said is that if you want to win a war, you better have a good morale. What he's saying is that if the troops lose hope, if the troops have a bad attitude, we are destined to lose. But if the attitude of the troops is good, if they're grateful, if they're rejoicing, even though they are at war, we will win the war. There's a survival school that the Air Force puts on. And it's like the, it's like the hardest survival school or the most effective survival school in the entire world. And people, they're, they're studying, what are they doing to help people learn survival skills? And, and when somebody graduates from the survival school, they say, hey, you need to remember two numbers. One is the temperature of the human body, like 98.6, I think. And the other number is three. And the number three has significance. And they say this, you need to remember the number three because you can't go three days without water. You can't go three weeks without food. You can't go three minutes without air. And you can't go three months without companionship. And the number three that they say that's above them all is that you can't go three seconds without hope. That the Air Force is saying if you want to survive, you've got to have this internal focus on joy, prayer, gratitude, because this is the thing that gives you hope. And so how do you do that? Well, the Bible's telling us, man. You rejoice, you cling on to the sources of joy that are constant, that are godly. You choose to pray. You don't choose independence or self-reliance. You go to God. And then you also choose to be grateful in the midst of all circumstances. This is God's will for you. This is how you become the right type of person, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of your family of origin, regardless of your past. If you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, this can be the first day of the rest of your life. And you can choose a right mindset. You can choose prayerfulness. You can choose gratitude, and God will deliver a buoyancy and a hope and an optimism as you navigate this life. Well, Paul, he goes on, and he says this in verse 19. He says, and do not quench the spirit. He says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you would write this down. What not to do? What not to do? He's given us some things. You need to do these things. Now he said, hey, you need to abstain some things. You need Paul's saying, you need to avoid. If you want to be the type of person that God desires, you got to avoid some things. The first thing he says right here in verse 19, he says, don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. I don't know if you ever read things like that and you're like, you know, like that sounds really good. Like, you know, somebody's like, what are you focused on this week? Man, I'm just trying not to quench the spirit. And uh, and they're like, what does that mean? You're like, you know. You know, you're not supposed to quench him, you know. Like, you know, the spirit, you know, and you know, you know, and you don't want to quench, you know. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Let's go get coffee. You know, and like you you don't know what it means, but it sounds good. I think sometimes we can read the Bible and we can just assume and everybody can kind of move and be like, Mmm, yeah, don't quench the spirit. That's good. What does that mean? You know? Well, we gotta ask ourselves, well, who is the spirit? The spirit's referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying, um, hey, hey, don't quench God's Spirit working in your life. And I think sometimes we can kind of be like, you know, it's Spirit, Spirit. And we can really make it real mystical and be like, you know, it's Spirit, and it's vibey, and it's Spirit, and we don't want to quench Him. We don't and I don't even know what that means. Listen, your relationship with God is far more relational than we really can imagine. It, I mean it 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 should be you should be able to look at a relationship that you may have with a significant other and how that relationship works and apply a lot of the same principles to your relationship with God. Like I think there's this tendency for us to kind of mystify or confuse Christianity so that we can justify our disobedience. And we'll, we'll kind of say, you know, there's an area in my life where I don't know if that really quenches the Spirit or not. And so who knows? Let's do it. You know, let's get another drink. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll just kind of justify because we're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's kind of confusing. You know, who really knows? And then we'll do the thing. And oftentimes we'll confuse Christianity so that we can justify our disobedience. But God and our relationship with him is far more relational so, like, think about, think about a relationship that you may have or may have had with a significant other. And I don't think about my relationship with my wife. Like, there are things that I will do that will quench my relationship with my wife. And it translates to your relationship with God. Like, th- here's a few things that quench a relationship with with a significant other. The, f- the first thing is this, um, uh, apathy. So, like, if, if you are apathetic towards God, it's going to yield the same thing that you would have if you are apathetic towards a significant other. My wife and I, we go on a date. She's like, "Jab, yeah, we got the kids, babysitter. Where do you want to go?" And I'm like, I don't, know. "I don't care what you know." And I'm just like apathetic. Like that's going nowhere fast, right? Like none of y'all are looking at that love life, going, "I want a marriage like that someday." I want a man that's just passive and apathetic. No, that doesn't inspire anybody. And if you're apathetic. In a relationship with a significant other, it's not going to end well. And the same is true in your relationship with God. When we are apathetic towards God, it quenches the Spirit. The second source of uh, uh, thing that quenches the Spirit is, is when you're complaining. Imagine my wife and I were on a date, and I'm like, I hate this place. I hate this place. I can't believe you chose this place. Why'd you wear that? I'm just complaining, complaining, complaining. Well, that's again going nowhere quick. The same is true in your relationship with God. If you constantly complain and grumble and murmur towards God Almighty, it's gonna quench the spirit. The next thing that's gonna quench the spirit is distraction. Imagine you see my wife and I on a date, and like she's all dressed up, wearing some Christmas thing. We're out at some restaurant and I'm just like this while we're at the table. I'm just distracted. I'm just scrolling, you know. And like she's like trying to have a conversation. You ever seen the couple? You know, they're, they're like on a like they're at a really nice place, but they're both on their cell phone the whole time like that's lame okay if you're on a date put your phone away okay it's a distraction it's and it's gonna it's gonna quench the romance in the relationship i think for a lot of us we quench the spirit of god working in our life because we're distracted we try to have a, a time with god with a phone out and a bible doesn't work most of the time and we need to put the things away and we need to we need to get focused in our relationship with god another source of of quenching the spirit is defiance it's, it's just, a, you know, God's told me to do this, and I'm going to defy it, and I'm going to do this. Imagine I'm on a date with my wife, and she's like, you know, we should go over here. And I'm like, no, we're not going over there. In fact, I'm going the other way, you know. And some of y'all, y'all are in a season of defying God's word in your life and his will for your life. And some of y'all are doing that overtly. Man, you are boldly disobedient. But most of y'all and most of us, we're, we We are subtly defiant. You know, it's going back to the date illustration. It's like we're on a date, and I'm just pouting the whole time because I didn't really want to go there. You know, I'm there, but I'm just, I'm just going against it. I'm going to make it hard on her. And some of y'all, maybe, maybe you're even here tonight, but you're just defiant. And it's like, you know, you know, again, like when I read this list, apathetic, complaining, distracted, and defiant, that describes some of y'all's relationship with God tonight. And you're here, which is really confusing because no one drugged you to be here. No one made you to be here. And this may sound really, really harsh and really, really weird, but if you're apathetic, complaining, distracted, and defiant in your relationship with God, why are you going to church? There's a lot of other places where you you could probably have a lot better time. But if you're here saying, I want to be the type of person that God wants me to be, I want to be the type of person where God looks down and he says, oh, that's the type of person, then we don't want to quench the spirit in our life. What sort of vibes are you putting out towards God? If you and God were on a date, think of it that way, would, it, would you be warm? Would it be going well or would it not be going good? What type of person are you? Are you quenching the spirit? The second thing he says to do here in verse 20, says, and don't despise prophecies. Uh, This word prophecy is the Greek word prophetia. It literally means to speak or proclaim publicly. And what Paul's saying is don't despise the word of God. He's saying that you, you shouldn't spurn the scriptures, that God's word, it's authoritative, it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible. And God's word is how we know the character of God. It's how we know the way of God. And there's this tendency that all of us have to despise God's word. And so the way I ask this oftentimes is when you and the Bible disagree, who wins? When you in the Bible disagree about sex, who wins? When you in the Bible disagree about forgiveness, who wins? And if you find that you have a track record of always overruling the word of God, you are despising the prophecies. You're despising the word of God. And Paul says if you wanna be God's man, you wanna be God's woman, you don't do that. The next thing he says here in verse 21 is to test all things, test all things. One of the main reasons why Paul wrote this letter is because he's trying to correct some things that the people in that church had believed. And listen, just because somebody has a convincing argument doesn't mean that it's absolutely true. Just because somebody has a Bible open and a convincing argument doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Don't you know that historically people have used this Bible to justify slavery? Not just like for a week or a day, like for years, that they convinced people, book open, that it was okay to enslave people. Don't you know that, that, that people have ju- used the Bible to justify jo- child abuse? Like, we gotta, we got you spare the rod, spoil the child. It's like, that doesn't mean you gotta give them a black eye, man. That people have used the Bible to justify homosexuality in our day and age. Well, this is what Jesus really meant, and this is what he said. They'll open the Bible, give a convincing argument, and they'll change the sex ethic that has been historically true in the scriptures. People use the Bible to justify hating people. You know, we need to go to that place and hold up signs and really tell them how much God hates that type of person. And just because they have a, a Bible and they have a convincing argument doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily true. Um, we drink Chateau milk at my house. I don't know if y'all know what that is, but it comes from a dairy just north of the river. It's amazing. Um, and I don't, I don't know what has happened in the last few years, but they have put stuff in milk that will allow it to last like for months. Y'all notice that? Like, back in the day, milk always expired, like, you know, like, within a couple weeks. But now it's like expiration date, 2027. I'm like, is this good? I don't know, you know. But Chateau milk, like, they're, they're keeping it real. And so, like, they'll put an expiration date on, and you got to drink that milk because it's going to expire if you don't drink it. It's, it's real milk. And so, um, but what I found is that their expiration date isn't always accurate. And so, like, it'll say, like, the date, and I'm like, all right, I got two more days till it expires. And then I'll take a drink, and I'm like, Pork. You know, I'm just chewing it down, just chewing it, you know. I think the milk's bad, you know. And so here's what I've learned to do I've learned to test the milk, gotta give it a smell test. Just because the date says it's still good doesn't mean that it's still good, is what I've learned. And what I'm trying to say is this, is that there are, you may be on Instagram, on TikTok, you may be following somebody like, man, that is good, what they're saying. is just so powerful. It just sounds so good. And then you start replicating that word. And listen, you need to test the word. And you need to make sure that whatever you are following is in fact biblical. You need to test all things. The other thing he says is that once you've tested it, you have to hold fast to it. You have to hold fast to it. Listen, let me just help you out real quick. The Bible What we have right here, it has been thoroughly tested. If you come in here and you doubt whether or not this is the word of God, I can give you so much information to help give you a convincing argument as to why we believe this is authoritative, why it's inerrant, infallible, and inspired by God Almighty. And so we should zealously hold fast to this word as our absolute authority. And so when Paul says you need to test all things and then hold fast to them, what he's saying is you better make sure this is of God and then you cling on to it and you don't let it go, and you study it, you believe it, you learn it, you teach it, and you build your life upon it. That's what it means to hold fast. And then finally, here's what he says. He says you need to abstain from every form of evil. Uh, This word abstain, it literally means to hold oneself away from, it means to, to go the other way of the evil. Listen, evil, if you don't know this, note this, evil is the antithesis of God. God is good in all of his ways, and evil is in the complete opposite direction. So the question I have for you is, are you entertaining the things that Jesus died for? As I look back on my life and my relationship with God, there have been times where I have entertained the things that are evil, the things that Jesus died for. And I, as I look back, I kind of go, well, what, what areas was I entertaining these in? Well, primarily for me, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to entertain evil in the movies I watch and the music I listen to. It's like I'll be in a place, and they'll be, they'll be playing a playlist from the 90s, to the early 2000s, filthy music. But I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yes, but, you know, I'm like, oh, no, this is not a good song. You know, I've got kids around me now, and they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, change it, swipe, let's go, next, let's go. Like I'll, I'll get with people my age and like we'll start like bantering movie quotes and we'll just have a conversation in movie quotes and then like I'll remember, that's a terrible movie. And I've got to start caveat things like, oh, I saw that movie, it was like BC, before Christ, but really it wasn't before Christ and I'm like, I shouldn't have been watching that and, and there's been times in my life where I've entertained evil and I have not abstained from it. But that was back then, I've got it all figured out now. Yeah, <laughs> I figured out some tools that I need To help me be obedient to this, this scripture But the temptation is still pervasive today And I have to choose If I'm looking at something on Instagram If I'm looking at something on TikTok If I'm watching a show Binge watching something I was talking with a guy the other day And he's like yeah I tried to watch White Lotus and I was like bro you can, see, you can tell by the trailer That's going to be trash you know and he's like, we had to turn it off. We had to make a decision that I'm going to abstain from evil. Why would you entertain the things that drive a wedge in your relationship? Uh, my wife, y'all pray for her, man. She's not a dog lover. Not a dog lover. Never has been, you know. And I knew that when we were dating. I, I, I had a dog growing up named Hank. Hank the cow dog. And, and uh, we, I love dogs, you know. And, uh, and I knew, I knew you know, that she wasn't a dog lover. And so like I tried, you know, I tried to, you know, convert her, but she, she held her ground. She's not a dog lover. Now I want you to imagine that, you know, we got married and I know this about her. Like she does not like dogs. It'd be safe to say she hates dogs. All right. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, going to run her reputation a little bit, but, and so like, imagine like, like this Christmas, I'm like, get the girls again. I'm like, hey, (laughs) y'all want a puppy? (laughs) and, like, we get a dog, like a big dog, big stank dog, like, you know, like, just, you know, hair shed and everything, you know, I'm like, yeah, and I chose to let in the house something that she despised. That would drive a wedge in our relationship. Now, that's a silly example, and we love dogs for real, kind of, but we, you know, that's a silly example to try to portray a really, really serious truth that many of you are letting something in your life that you know God despises, that you moved in with him, you moved in with her. Uh, Y'all started dating and you're living in the same area or you're living far away from each other, whatever it is, and you you justified having sleepovers. You know, I I got tired, let's just snuggle, let's just lay down, I mean, nothing will happen. Uh-huh. and the scripture says that you're, you're called to avoid the appearance of evil abstain from every form of evil and there are certain things that some of you have come in here tonight and you're entertaining those things and God's telling you if you want to be, be God's man if you want to be God's woman you need to remove yourself from that thing you need to abstain from it I don't know if you ever hear a message like this and you're like, all of the things you said I should do, all of the things you said I shouldn't do, I've messed all of that stuff up. All the things you said I should do, I'm not doing. And all the things I'm not supposed to do, that's what I'm doing. I guess I'm out of God's will. I guess God God wouldn't want a relationship with me. The will of God is really talked about in two primary ways. One is for people that know him, And tonight was really for people that know him. The other way that God's will is talked about is for people that don't know him. And here's what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this, that God wills that none would perish, but all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've totally wrecked everything we talked about tonight, listen, there's still grace for you. There's still forgiveness for you. But it starts with you recognizing that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, And you trusting your life over to him and for some of you the best thing that you can do is to start a relationship with Jesus and for those of you that know Jesus you've heard some challenging truths that you need to begin or continue to apply to your life and I pray that you would be faithful to do that let's pray Lord Jesus thank you so much for tonight God thank you for your word God I pray that it would refine us and God I pray at the end of the day there would be nothing else that we would want other than you God, we wouldn't run to you for your blessings. We wouldn't run to you for all of the, the things that you may be able to offer us, but we would simply come to you for you. God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you personally, I pray that you would save them, that you would speak to them. For those of us that have made a, a decision to follow you and surrender our life to you, God, I pray that we would, we would do what the Bible calls us to do, and you'd give us grace and the energy that we would need to be able to do that effectively. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.